0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to discuss what I think is a, uh, a needed overview and, and simplification, in, in, the, in the best sense of that word, of, of just kind of the Jewish approach to life. And that's that's a very ambitious statement there. But hopefully, hopefully, what we'll learn over the next uh, period of time will, will will be constructive and will afford us a more accurate view of what it is that we're supposed to be doing, and and just just like I say, the overall structure of everything. Um, it's it's confusing. It's a very it, life is confusing, and, and and Torah is coming to address all of life. So how could that not be confusing? Um, and, and so often uh, what happens is, is uh, there is a confusion of how to prioritize things. And, and so, and then also there's a confusion of how to get sort of like distance on things. So it's, it's like everything is being asked for us simultaneously. To be completely in the moment, right? Like the, the buzzword for that uh, in today's society, which Torah is very much on board with, is mindfulness. Um, one of the most beautiful um, illustrations of where you see mindfulness in the Torah, uh, this this teaching comes, or this observation, it's it's right in the Torah itself, comes from the, the Moshe Tzarebi. And Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, climb the mountain, meaning Mount Sinai. So this is, you know, the epic event. We're about to get the Torah. God says to Moshe, climb the mountain and be there. (laughs) So that's like, and be there. Well, if you've climbed the mountain, you are there, right? But no, no, no. Climb the mountain and, and actually now be present in the moment of what's about to happen. So that is the, that's the ultimate. In other words, if you want to extend that a little bit further, before Moshe could receive the Torah, he had to be a vessel, and part of that being a vessel was being in the moment. So in other words, in terms of our everyday lives, we're often blessed with so many things. And when I, when I say that, I'm really talking about like arms and legs, right? Things that we thoroughly take for granted, and we're running so quickly that we're never receiving what it is that we're being given constantly. Can you imagine you've got like, to use this bit of imagery, a new way now, you've got this expensive bottle of wine, right? And you're pouring like this expensive bottle of wine on a, on a fine wine glass that has a lid on the top. <laughs> so like all the wine is, is hitting the top of the glass, and it's just pouring off to the sides; nothing's going in the glass, right? So, in other words, can you? We are being given all of the time, but the question is, are we receiving? I, I'll, I'll tell you something uh, interesting. This is a kind of a mystical. It's a segula, we say, which is kind of a kind of like a a a, 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 a mystical way to harness a, a, a great blessing. Okay, that's how I would translate it um and what is this particular sagula there are many many sagulas in Torah this particular sagula is that that when kiddish is being made that's the blessing over the wine is being made Friday night that you should look at some point into the the Shabbos candles and wh- why is that what is it a sagula for what is it a blessing for so it says that it it, it fixes part of your vision. Okay? In fact, they, they the rabbis go actually very, uh, very detailed on this. They say it fixes one five hundredth of your vision. Okay? So, what is the connection? It sounds very esoteric, like what does one thing have to do with the other? So, so listen to this. You see, Shabbos itself, we're talking about mindfulness, mindfulness being in the moment. And by the way, the reason why I'm talking about mindfulness is I want to talk about just all the difficulties and how complicated everything is. Because while you have to be in the moment and completely immersed, you also have to have a great distance on everything and see the overview simultaneously. So when you're really in the moment, it's hard to have distance. This is what we're talking about. We're, we're just spending a little bit of time right now just talking about being in the moment for, for a second. And I'm telling you that the capital of being in the moment is Shabbos. Shabbos is institutionalizing, in the best sense of that word, mindfulness. Right? Because you're not, you're not working, basically. You're just receiving on Shabbos. That, that's, by the way, the answer to a bit of a paradox that the Zohar brings which is that all of the blessings of the week, including your livelihood, by the way, come down on Shabbos. So you say, well, wait a second. How could it be that my livelihood is coming down on Shabbos? That's the one day I'm not working. <laughs> well, that's what it is. You, you, by being in the moment, you're just making yourself a vessel on Shabbos, and you're receiving the blessings, and then they'll manifest during the week. Okay? So let's get back to this idea of trying to explain why looking in the candles Friday night while you're making Kiddush, while we're making Kiddush, what's, 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 what, what, what is that talking about? That's the blessing over the wine. That's um, talking about the creation of the world, God finishing the world, okay? So, so we have an expression in English, which is that, you know, don't forget to stop and smell the roses, you know, it's become such a cliche, and by the way, it's kind of old-fashioned, you never really hear anyone say it anymore, but, but there used to be a period in American history where people used to say it all the time. Anyway, what does it mean? It means that, can you imagine you're walking by a, a beautiful rose bush and you're just in such a hurry, you just walk right by it. So you were so kind of distracted and so busy that you didn't stop and appreciate the beauty that was right there. So that's, that's what it means. Don't forget to stop and smell the roses. That's what, it's, it's mindfulness, basically. Okay? So if you live your life in that way, where you're just going by rose bushes, beauty, sunsets, you know, cute little kids crawling around, just all, every variety of deliciousness in life, right? Listen to this. This is getting deeper now. At a certain point, you will stop seeing them. In other words, they'll be there, but you won't even notice them anymore. Do you, do you hear? We just made a big step there. That's, it's not that you're no longer appreciating them, or you no longer have time for them. You will no longer see them. That's, that's deep. That's a very deep insight into human nature. So, so now we can put it all together. What's happening on Shabbos? On Shabbos, everything stops in the best way. And you get to be a vessel to receive, and you get to be a vessel to be in the moment, and to appreciate what you have. You're given the eyes to see what you have, okay? And that's why it's the fixing of the eyesight, right? Because now you can begin to re-see or see again all of the things that during the week you were too busy to notice. So it does actually restore your vision. That's an amazing thing, because it started off as like this very sort of esoteric, mystical idea. And now you say, well, wait a second. Actually, Shabbos does restore your vision. Because now I'm slowing down, and I'm going to be able to appreciate again and see again all these blessings around me. Okay. So again, we're trying to make an overview. And I'm telling you that it's very, it's very complicated to have it, like, I I always like this phrase that I heard in the name of Steve Jobs, which is simple is hard, right? If you can make things simple, especially if you're summarizing a, a vast thing like life itself and Torah itself, if you can make it simple, that's a very great blessing. So that's what we're going to try to do right now. Now, we know that one of the tenets, one of the things that makes Torah, Torah, what, what makes Torah, Torah? Okay, well, it's the word of God, right? Okay, but let's be more precise. I would say what makes Torah, Torah is the mitzvahs. Again, if I just want to simplify, the commandments in the Torah would make the Torah, the Torah, okay? Otherwise, it might be divine stories, but Torah is more than just stories. Torah is a, a user's guide to the world, a user's manual to the world, which means that I need the steps of what to do. Right? What am I supposed to be doing? Okay? Okay. So, so now we're, 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 we're saying that there, there are things to do. And, and we're not just saying that there are things to do. We're saying that there are things to do from literally the moment you wake up in the morning Right? We we have words that we're supposed to say. The first words that out of our mouth every morning are Mode Anilifanecha, right? I, I gratefully acknowledge you, God, I gratefully thank you, God, which is an amazing thing because it so syncs with what modern psychology is finally realizing that the key to happiness is gratitude. So literally, you know, the Torah knows all these things, has known them for thousands of years. Literally, you begin each day with gratitude. That, that's, that's Torah in action. You know, you can... The, the sort of like the modern um, insights gives you, give you um, even more appreciation for what it is that we've always known. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever been in this situation where you don't know how you feel about something? Like, maybe this is a good movie. I'm not sure. And then you're with someone who's like an expert and he loved the movie... And now you also love the movie? You weren't sure. But this guy loves the movie. No, I love the movie. Right? It's a very common thing. Restaurant, wine, whatever it is, art. So, so a lot of times when, when, when modern science and modern psychology all of a sudden arrive at an insight that was always there in Torah, it gives you extra appreciation for what the Torah has always been saying, you know? Anyway, the Torah is guiding our life from the moment we wake up to the morning, the, the moment we go to sleep at night, right? The last words in our mouth, we know the first words that we're supposed to say every morning. It's an expression of gratitude. And that, by the way, the way that the Modaani, which we say in the morning ends, it's a very short phrase, right? It's easy to memorize. Is rabba emunasecha, great is your faith. So the Alexander Rebbe wants to know like, wait, define the pronouns. Whose faith? What, what what faith? And and the Alexander Rebbe says that what Modani is finishing with is a declaration Great is your faith, God, in us. Right? So we we, we are grateful to be alive and we are empowering ourselves, God believes in me. Alright, that's that's big. That's a big you can't start your day any any better than that. You're thankful and you're empowered. You're ready to go. And then, with that in mind, you can understand why on the first page of the Code of Jewish Law, on the first page of the Shulchan Aruch, it says that you have to rise out of bed in the morning like a lion. Well, how am I going to get the strength to rise out of bed like a lion? That's asking a lot. But if I'm grateful, and I know that God, who made me and made the world, believes in me, I can rise out of bed like a lion. So the first words are dictated to us, and the last words that we say are dictated to us. Because the last words that you're supposed to say before you go to bed at night are Shema Yisrael Shema Elokein Echad. Right? Declaring the oneness of God. And if you think about that, again, that's very, very wise. Very, very wise. Because we know God is one. Right? But after you've been through a long day and your boss has yelled, yelled at you, <laughs> and the, your customers aren't paying you, right? And who knows what other source, what other trouble you've gone through. It's so easy to think this one has power and that one has power and that one has power. Everybody has power over me. Everybody is beating me up. Everybody is oppressing me. So you have to remember when you go to sleep at night wait a second, there's only one power and it's God. That is very much needed. That's a very much needed reminder. And now you can have clarity. Now you can have clarity. Okay. So I'm just going through some examples of how exhaustive Torah is in terms of the mitzvahs. How, 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 how um, comprehensive it is in terms of um, telling us how to live our lives. And these are just two, this is a very just simple way of putting it, our first words and our last words each day, right? But we know it applies to every situation. The, the, uh, the example that I always like to give is that there's a Torah way to put your socks and shoes on, right? So that's, that's your right sock and then your left sock and then your right shoe and then your left shoe and then you tie your left shoe and then you tie your right shoe. So again, we had a lot of questions about this, because when you realize really how comprehensive Torah is, you can begin to ask yourself, are the rabbis control freaks? Is God a control freak? Like, what is going on exactly? And the conclusion that we reach is that there is no such thing if God fills the entire world and all of existence, right? The, the example that I always love to give is of the two fish talking, right? So one fish says to the other fish, do you believe in water? And the other fish says, you know, I don't know if I believe in water. My grandfather was very religious. He believed in water. <laughs> right? That's, so what's the joke? The joke is that there's nothing but water. And th- this is us and God. All, all there is is God. That's the only thing that exists. And yet you have the, the two fish, they're very wise, they're very philosophical, very sophisticated, they're contemplating the existence of water (laughs) meanwhile the water is keeping them alive but we have something uh, another phrase in English called hiding in plain sight where something is so there that you actually can't see it there's actually uh, one of my favorite stories, I heard this from Reb Sholema This is the story. I'll I'll go tell you, because I don't think I've, I've... I don't know if I've ever told you this story. This is the story of how the Rothschilds became wealthy. Okay? And I remember when Reb Shlomo told this story. If you don't know, the Rothschilds... Okay, they don't have this position in today's society, but in approximately the 1700s, they were the richest family in the world, perhaps, and really, governments, whole governments, turned on, 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 on their policies, basically. I mean, that's overstating it, because um, they weren't that powerful. But nonetheless, there, there, was, there had never really been anything like the Rothschild family. So, so where did they get all their money from? Especially at a time when most Jewish people were, 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 were starving all over the world. Okay, so here's the story. Here's the story. Now, I'll just preface it with one more thing. When Reb Shlomo told us this story, he said there's another story, which I've actually heard. I've actually heard people say, this is the story of how the Rothschilds got their money. He said, that's not the real story. This is the real story. (laughs) Okay? And he's got proof. But anyway, I'll tell you this story. So, um, you know, There was a there was a very very great uh, rabbi, a great chacham. He was in the Sephardi community. His name was the Chacham Tzvi, right? The Chacham Tzvi was really one of our greatest rabbis, and he was in Amsterdam. And someone came up to him and said, "I want your haskama, which means your stamp of approval, meaning that everything is 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 proper in this book that I'm about to publish." that the things that I'm writing in this book is are Torah true and are accurate. He says, I want to publish a new edition of the Zohar. And I want your stamp that this is a, a, a kosher edition of the Zohar. And the Chachem Tzvi, again, one of our greatest rabbis, gave his stamp that this was kosher. Okay? Then he had a dream, and he realized that it wasn't. And in fact, that the person, and it really wasn't, by the way, that the people who were coming to him were members of the sect of Shabbatai Tzvi, which was sort of like this cultist offshoot of the Jewish people at the time who believed in a false messiah. And they had basically produced a corrupted version of the Zohar. And, and now the Chacham Svi had just given his stamp of approval to this edition of the Zohar. So, this was um, this was a problem, <laughs> you know. So, and um, this is approximately uh, I don't know, seventeen hundreds, maybe it was sixteen hundreds, right, right around there. I haven't got the date exactly. So, so he went. The Chacham Tzvi went to the printer, and he said to him, um, "I've made a mistake, and uh, I I need to." Um, you can't, you can't publish this, 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 this printing job. And the printer said, you know, I'm very sorry, but this is a very nice job. and I'm, I've been contracted and, you know, that's what it is. So the Chacham Tzvi went back and that, that night he burned down the, the printing press, that, that place. And he left uh, a, a, an envelope with all of the money to replace it, and, 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 and that's, that's, that's what it was, okay? And he wrote, he says, I, the Chacham Svi have burnt down your printing press, and here is the money to, to replace it. Now, the Chacham Svi Chacham means wise man, right? This is, a, um, this is a title that's given to very great uh, Tamida Chachamim, Torah scholars. So the Chacham Tzvi didn't get his name Chacham for nothing. He knows that the police are going to be after him. And he says, okay, so where is the best place to hide? So he says, okay, the one place they're not going to look for me is across the street from the printing press. (laughs) So he goes and he knocks on the door. And and the man of the house opens up the door. And his name is Mr. Rothschild. (laughs) He's a very poor man. And the Chacham Tzvi says, listen, the police are after me and I need you to hide me. And and he says, okay. And so he goes and he goes up to the attic. He puts him up in the attic of the, of the house. And the Chacham Tzvi says, listen, um, I want you to know my schedule. And I don't remember the exact details here, So, but this was the spirit of it. He says, you know, I get up at, at chatzot at, at midnight. I'll need you to bring me some tea. <laughs> and I'm going to be learning there, and then at at a certain time, you're also going to have to, uh, these will be my needs at this certain time, and it was like, you know, like wait a second, what? I'm I'm putting you up for the police, and now all of a sudden I I can't sleep, and so, but again, this was the leader of the entire community, you're not going to be disrespectful to him, so, okay, this is what it is. So the Chacham Tzvi was staying there for a certain amount of time, and he said, he sensed that the man no longer wants him into the house. Uh, Mr. Rothschild, that he's no longer welcome there. In other words, said his presence there was, was too much of an imposition on, on the family. So Mr. Rothschild walked in that day, and the Chacham said to him, I want you to know that I can read thoughts. And I know that you're going to ask me to leave. But the truth is that I was going to leave today anyway. And he says, I want you to know something. I was going to give you two blessings. The first blessing was that all of your children should be Talmidi Chachamim. All of your children should be Torah scholars, right? Which is a very great blessing. And the second blessing that I was going to give you is that they should all be tremendously wealthy but because you were going to kick me out of your house, I'm only going to give you the second blessing. And that's that's what it was. And um, if you look into the present state of the Rothschild family and their history, you'll, you'll see... You, anyway, I don't want to say more, but you'll, 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 you'll see that... How that story uh, is very resonant. Anyway, um, so so how does how does Reb Shlomo know that this story is true? That this is the true version of the story? Because the Sanzer Rebbe, who is a very great Hasidic master, the Sanzer Rebbe was a descendant of the Chacham Tzvi, and the Sanzer Rebbe. Um, was involved in saving different people and populations, and and also making sure that uh, that uh, people who needed dowries, poor poor brides who needed dowries, especially like orphan girls who didn't have dowries, would be able to get married. So he would be raising money for them and things like this. There was um, a it's uh, like a tzedakah emergency, and. And he, he at the time in, in, his, in his activities and he he wrote to he wrote a letter to the Rothschilds at the time. And he said that, um, you know, you your family has its wealth because of the blessing of my uh, whatever it was, gr- grandfather, great grandfather, great great grandfather. And I need this amount of money to, to help these people right now. And they wrote him back a letter. Saying yes, it's it's known in our family. This was written by the Rothschilds that 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 the that the Chacham Tzvi that, the, that this came that our wealth came to us from this blessing from the Chacham Tzvi, and here is the money. And Reb Shlomo heard this story from one or two Bovover Rebbeis ago because the Bovover Rebbe was a descendant of the Sanzor Rebbe, and the Bovover Rebbe has that letter that was written to the Sanzer Rebbe from the Rothschilds. Okay, so that's the story. Now, why did I tell you that story? Just just to illustrate the the point of hiding in plain sight. (laughs) Right, we have, like, can you see air? You can't see air, and yet you're surrounded by air. Can the fish see water? The fish can't see water, but they're surrounded by water. I I was having lunch with a friend of mine. I said to him, where did you park your car? He said, across the street. I said, do you realize you can't get to your car without swimming through godliness? Right? This is us. We're completely immersed. We're immersed. Okay? So, the, the tremendous irony of this is that we're so surrounded by Hashem it's possible not only not to see Hashem, but to deny the existence of Hashem. Isn't that crazy? Crazy world that God made. Amazing world that God made. But it also shows you how primary and how amazing it is that we have free choice. That we, we have the ability like no other creation in the universe to see God. And that we are ascribed reward and credit for recognizing just what's there. So as such, because everything is just godliness around us, right? But there's still right and wrong. Right? You can't you can't take it too far. You can't say therefore everything is good because because god is in everything. So I can absolutely do any kind of behavior. There are religions based on that by the way but that's not torah we say that's not actually the truth and in fact one of the explanations that i heard why the vilnagun excommunicated the hasidic mu- movement is because he was afraid that they were going to go too far that meanwhile it's like you had like a like you had like a, uh, a let's say so to speak like to give you a an analogy like a person who's who's had a heart attack on the ground and that they're they're being administered like, um, you know, with those electric paddles, you know, like they're being brought back to life. Like like the Hasidic movement sort of brought the Jewish people back to life. Like we had just been so alienated in terms of a relationship from God and God's presence and God's closeness and God's love that we needed to be kind of like brought back to life. The The, the Hasidic movement Succeeded in doing that by restoring the the sense of spirituality um, to just every single day life. But the Vilna Gone was like, yo, (laughs) yo, don't take it too far. Like, no, don't start telling me that pork is kosher because God is everywhere. Because I feel like you're heading in that direction. Don't, don't start telling me that everything is beautiful because God is in everything. Don't, don't go there. Don't start gutting all of the mitzvot. So, so, in a way, it was what he felt, whether you agree with him or not, and of course there was a lot of suffering and strife that came from this, but nonetheless, big picture, he sort of put the brakes on in a, in a way that quite possibly was a very redemptive thing for, for Jewish theology, right? So, so in other words, we, we, we have a recognition and here's another duality that we have to keep in mind that God is absolutely everywhere and everything and yet there are certain things that God himself tells us, yes, I created this, don't go there. Right, so that 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 that's 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 a very sophisticated way of thinking. Do you understand? Because the natural inclination is, if it's natural, it's beautiful, and therefore, I don't care if there's a a, a, a mitzvah that that speaks to this. I'm just going to go with my own intuitive feeling on it. Right, like I'll give you a very sort of like a bit of a shocking example of this, but um, it always made a deep impression on me. I heard this from Rabbi Aaron. He says, you know, like a baby, like when a baby is a baby, it needs diapers, right? Just, we we understand that. It's a baby. What does a baby know? You know, hasn't grown up enough to, to be able to control itself. But can you imagine an adult well into adulthood? You just say, well, this is natural, it's beautiful, and you just continue to wear diapers. Like, you, like it's a repulsive thought. It's a repulsive thought. Because you understand that there is a certain need to sort of like say, okay, there is a natural order, and yet I have to be a little bit more evolved in terms of my interaction with the natural order. And just because something exists doesn't mean that therefore that's permission to utilize it. Perhaps it's there not to utilize it. in order for us to have free choice to further evolve ourselves and, and, and lift ourselves up. Okay. But what is the point? The point of all of this, let's get back 25 steps, okay? The point is, is that Torah is comprehensive. First words in the morning, last words at night, socks and shoes, every situation, not because... The rabbis are control freaks, not because God is a control freak, God forbid, but because there is no such thing as a secular moment. There is no such thing as a secular moment, because wherever you go, whatever you do, you're interfacing with God, which means no matter how mundane something is, no matter how commonplace something is, there is a way to make it holy and to w- a way to access the holiness of it. And then when you're appreciative of that way of going through life, that everything essentially... Remember, we always say this. It's a very important idea. Nothing is the way it has to be. Nothing has to be this way. Nothing has to be this way. You can't say... Like, I remember I was such an ungrateful little twerp growing up. I remember my mother said to me, like, she was making me hamburgers for, for dinner. And, and I said to her, like, chutzpah, chutzpah, I'm sorry, Mom. You have, to do, you have to make me dinner. You're my mother. You know? Tell that to an orphan who's walking around in bombed out downtown Damascus that his mother has to make him a hamburger because she's his mother. Is his mother even alive? Has he even seen his mother? Nothing has to be the way it is. Nothing. And then when you realize that, you realize, wow, well then, everything that I'm just so used to being there doesn't have to be there. Which means that everything is not just there. Everything is there. It's there by intention. And that's every blessing that we have and every obstacle that we have. Wow, okay, now we're getting deeper. It's all not just there. It's it's there. It's, it's tailor-made for you. The good and the challenging. Now you say, okay, well then, if this is actually the landscape, well, how am I now intelligently going to interact in this landscape? Like, can you imagine, like, do you remember those mazes? Like, when I was a kid, I loved to do mazes, right? You know, and you draw the line and... You have to get through the thing, and then so you hit a dead end, and you go another way, you hit another dead end. But there is a way through the maze, right? Imagine I'm just like, you know what? There isn't a maze that I can't do in one second flat. What? Really? There is not a maze I can't do in one second flat. You must be a great genius. Well, that's a very nice thing that you say to me. Would you like me to show you? Yeah, yeah, please. Here's a very complicated maze. And then you take your pen and you draw a straight line through through the middle of the maze. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) you didn't do the maze. (laughs) No wonder you can do any maze in one second flat. That's not how you do a maze. (laughs) You have to actually look at the lines (laughs) and appreciate it. So I think a lot of us are doing that with our lives. We're just sort of going, this is the way it is, and of course the way it is, and that's my car, and this is where I live, and this is the money coming in, and these are the people that I know, and ah. And you're just drawing a line right through like your life. <laughs> As opposed to who are you and what are you doing in my life? And who am I, and what am I doing in my own life? And what are these challenges? And why this job and not that job? And why? this address, and why this community, and not another community? Then you're actually looking at the maze, and then you're going, okay, let me just figure out exactly what is going on in my life. So, we're still working. Remember, we started off with a very ambitious statement. I... I, 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 I with great chutzpah, I suggested to you that I, in the spirit of simple is hard, right? In the spirit of making everything simple, I wanted to give us an overview of the Jewish view of life, okay? And the reason, the reason and we'll, we'll get to it, we're, we're gonna get to it, but we're, we're, we're distilling, we're distilling, we're distilling, we're distilling, okay? And the reason why I wanted to talk to you about how comprehensive halacha was, remember, that's translated as Jewish law, and that's part of the problem that we translate it as Jewish law. Because if you combine these two ingredients, you're going to get a very toxic conclusion, which is very inaccurate and very widespread. What's the toxic conclusion? It's halacha. it means Jewish law, Mitzvahs mean commandments and they're (laughs) 24-7. It's like, let me out of jail. Like, have rachmonos on me. Have mercy on my soul and let me out of this jail you're trying to put me into. Right? Like, this would be a very natural reaction, I think. Except... Halacha can also be translated as the way. And mitzvahs can be translated as divine pathways. And if God is absolutely everywhere, and if everything is quite precise, then I want to know how to get through this maze called life. And I also want to be very reassured about something because I'm afraid. And I know I, I experienced this great fear, and I'll, I'll be fancy about it, but I'm actually using the words I, I want to be using. When I started to become more observant, more mitzvah observant, I was very scared that I would experience what would essentially be an existential death And what I mean by an existential death is that I would be robbed of my creativity and individuality. And I think that that is a legitimate fear that a lot of people face. But I also think that it is an unfounded fear, and that the opposite actually will happen for a person if they go down this pathway. But this needs clarification. We... tried to present the problem as, and, and build up the problem, but I haven't really given you the solution yet. Okay? But now let's start to work on the solution. You see? There's a, a passage in the Torah which, which has been very resonant for me, this year especially, which is Tzedek Tzedek Tirdof, which means, justice, justice you shall pursue. And I heard in the name of Rav Aaron Soloveitchik that what that means is that you have to do justice in just ways. And building on that, I feel like the Torah is, 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 is it, that included in those words are a very, very great teaching that I feel as though I, I was privileged to learn, at least to taste, from, from my Rebbe, Rip Shlomo Karlbach, who said, I don't know if he ever used these words, but he was a living example of this, that you have to do beautiful things in beautiful ways. And so... the problem is, is that... performing the mitzvot of the Torah... a lot of people are starting, especially in our generation, after the Holocaust, after all the exile that we've been through as a people for 2,000 years, so many of us are, just completely have become, just for a variety of reasons, alienated from our own tradition. And, and we, don't, we don't really know what it is. And so, so you pick up the Torah, or you pick up a, a book of halacha, or whatever it is, and you start to read it. And you go, is that the end game? Is that the end game that I'm supposed to become the performer of this? And, and this is what most people think. And and as a result, there's this sense of, oh, well, now I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and what's going to happen to this side of my personality and these interests of mine? And you just feel, again, to use that phrase, this sense of existential death. But let me now, we're, that's us, completely immersed in the problem of the moment, right? Let's zoom out, okay? (laughs) Let's zoom out quite a bit and get that perspective now. That perspective is, in a perfect world, we're growing up already doing all of those things. You see, it's kind of funny. It's kind of a joke. Because we're trying to climb back up to zero. And we think that zero is the baseline. Above zero is this other number, 100. And we're just trying to crawl to the starting line. And we think the starting line is the finish line. God is assuming... Okay, he doesn't make assumptions, but just, again, we're doing super big picture right now. God is assuming that we're already doing all these things from the time we're born. We're growing up this way. This way is normal for us. Now the real question sets in, how are you making these beautiful things beautiful? How are you using your individuality and your creativity, which is God-given, to take these things and to, like, personalize them and do them in a creative, beautiful way. The example that I love is there's so many halachas, there's so many laws about how to build a kosher sukkah. You would think that with all of those laws, every sukkah is going to look the same, and yet anyone who knows anything, who's been, you know, you know, had the opportunity to see people make sukkahs, every sukkah looks different. And they're all in accordance with with the halakha. So you see that there is an interface by design, this is not an accidental thing, by design, there is this interface of your own creativity and the mitzvahs in order to yield something more beautiful. So, one of the great things that I heard in my life from, was from Rabbi Heschel. He was an old man at the time, and he was being interviewed on this like Sunday morning uh, religion show. And I was someone, maybe it was me, I don't know, or someone just turned on the channel, and there was this old rabbi like, saying, you can turn life into art. And I was like, I wasn't observant at the time. But boy, those words went right into my soul. You can turn life into art. And now, again, we're we're taking a hundred steps back. And now I'm ready to tell you the thing that I wanted to tell you really from the beginning. Okay? This is the simplicity of it. And I've just been thinking about this a lot. I, I, I really think that if you understand what I'm saying right now, you'll kind of get it. Okay? You see, life, the moment, is is your canvas. The moment is your canvas. And The mitzvahs are the paintbrush and the colors. And you are the artist. You pick up the paintbrush, and then you take the mitzvahs, and then you realize them in a creative, unique, beautiful way. That's what's going on. God didn't create your individuality for you to deny your individuality. He created your individuality as a complement to work with his tools to transform the world into an even more beautiful place. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know what one of the uniquenesses of my personality is? I'm really, you know, I don't want to brag, but I might be the most arrogant person I know. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I am never in a room of people without thinking that I'm the best or the greatest. I'm pretty awesome in that way. You want to watch me be arrogant? I, 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 you know, even if you don't ask, I'll be arrogant anyway. Is that okay? Do you mind? Do you mind watching me perform my own greatness? You see, just because something comes naturally to a person doesn't mean that therefore that's one of the great gifts that they're supposed to be putting into the world. (laughs) There are two main aspects to the Torah. One is the do. The other is refrain. These are the two great engines of one's personality and the two great drivers in terms of the personality, the the transformation of the world. Doing and refraining. And the Torah gives you that vision of when to do and when to refrain. It's an amazing, this is an amazing gift I heard in the name of the Ari that what got damaged in the Garden of Eden is that we didn't know when to do and when to refrain anymore. Interesting? We, we had kind of lost that instinct, in a way. And so the Torah comes and it restores it with this like divine blueprint of telling us how to be in the moment, and how to use those sort of normative tools in creative ways. To channel our individuality through it, and then something more beautiful comes out. I'll give you another example. We, we, we're supposed to give charity. We say, you know, 10% of your, your um, net income, not your gross income, because... You know, if you take your gross income, that's before taxes. That's not really your money because you have to give so much of that big number away. But when you have your final number, that, then that's actually your money, and then you give ten percent of that. That's the, that's the custom. So now, where are you going to give your money to? Do you understand that, that that's up to you? You can give it to drug rehab. You can give it to cancer research. You can give it to an orphanage in Israel. You can give it to your local shul for programming. You can give it to um, various homeless people on the street. There's so many... Do you, do you see how you are enacting your creativity? I, I think that's a nice example of what I'm talking about, right? Like like on Shabbos, part of keeping Shabbos is having three meals of Shabbos. Well, what are you gonna have? What are you gonna serve? I mean, you know, I, I go to Shabbos tables every once in a while now where, you know, you're ideally you're supposed to have some fish and some meat, right? But now the fish is sushi. <laughs> That's a total creative choice. That's a total creative choice. Or if you want to have, um, you know, a vegetarian thing, that's, that's okay too. Right? So, so in other words, what, what are you going to serve? Like, that's, that, that's completely an expression of just, you know, you. And there are probably endless examples of this, by the way. I saw something beautiful this morning that uh, I just loved, you know? Someone uh, took someone else's thing by accident. It was a total error, you know? And the person who lost his object said, Has anyone seen my thing, Right. <laughs> And you know, no one kind of said, "Oh, yeah, I have it." And then finally, someone realized that they had taken it, right, and then um, then the person who had lost his thing, right, had his thing taken from him, not intentionally, right said, "Oh yeah, uh, we got we got confused." I thought that was. So beautiful. We got confused. I didn't get confused. You took my thing. <laughs> we got confused. It was fantastic. And then, about a minute later, he, when he got his thing back, he said, "He apologized for inconveniencing him." That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you see? the creativity and the individuality being expressed there do you see how life was made into art at that moment that he took this moment a not just to make sure that that person wasn't embarrassed but b that he was actually you know felt felt good oh he's apologizing to me like he's oh yes of course I've been inconvenienced by having taken his thing. <laughs> like, how did he do that? That was some. That was some, very masterful sleight of hand. And what was the currency that you were dealing in there? Mitzvahs, right? You don't want to publicly embarrass someone, right? What was the What was the medium? What was the medium of that art? life, emotion, (laughs) right? That's, that's, that's what we're talking about. So let me, let me say it again. Let me say it again. The moment, and all of us, what is life? Life is a series of moments, okay? The moment is the canvas. It's a blank canvas. The mitzvahs are the paintbrush and the paints, the different colors, right? Because each mitzvah is a different color, and you are the painter, you are the artist, and you express your individuality and your creativity through this divine medium, through these divine pathways, and then you bring the world to another place. That's the that's the picture that you paint. Like, there, there, sometimes you say, okay, well, how do I make myself into art? Well, one way is I'm going to smile. And you would be amazed. You smile, and then someone else smiles. It's almost like a yawn, it's a little bit contagious. And now the other person smiles, and you know something? Modern, modern science says that when you smile, you release, like, I'm using a very unscientific term right now, happy hormones in your brain, whatever it is, endorphins, I, I don't know what the actual um, process is. But, but I know this, that when you frown, you are actually exercising something like dozens of muscles in your face, something like that. So you're actually putting a stress on your body that you're not even aware of, right? But it's an actual stress. And when you smile, not only do you relieve yourself of that tension, but you actually release some sort of, because the brain is going, oh, he's happy. Quick, get the happiness medicine out, you know? That, and now, because you smiled, not only does another person smile, but now they've actually been chemically empowered with some sort of like boldness, and they may make a different choice in their life. Because now they're in a slightly different mood. Someone says, hey, you wanna go for a cup of coffee? Well, a second ago you were gonna say no, but yeah, why not? What do I have to lose? Yeah, let's get some coffee. And then who knows what you talk about, or who knows who you see once you go to get the cup of coffee, or who knows what you tell the other person who then goes on to their next meeting? You don't know, there are all these like ripple effects there are all these ripple effects. But what I'm saying is is that that life, which is you're making into art, all of a sudden the picture is transforming. It's like cloudy, but all of a sudden you manage to put a sun there, which is broken out from the clouds. Okay, we'll stop. Thanks for listening.